Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. We know our overall series for the book of Acts is Mission Unstoppable. We know that. But we know also last week we looked at this whole demonstration and proclamation of the gospel. We, we, we looked at that, and we looked at the miracle that happened, that second recorded at least. We don't know if there were more. Fantastic miracle <clears throat> um, that were done through the apostles, but God at work by his Spirit. And that miracle we saw last week was both something that physically happened and changed, but it has such a spiritual picture we couldn't ignore it. In Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10 from last week, we saw the miracle was a great picture of salvation in that Peter and a man that could not help himself, had to be helped, could not change his condition, sat outside of the temple, sat outside of the place of fellowship with God, and when they approached them as God's representatives, as Acts 1-8 witnesses, because that's what Jesus said, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so that's what they were that day. Peter and John were witnesses and looked at the man and said, rise and walk, which we saw last week was both physical and spiritual. And then we saw last week at the end of that, where did that man end up? He ended up not outside of the place of fellowship. He ended up inside because he went with them into fellowship. And isn't that what happened with you and I? Couldn't walk, could not live in the way God has created us to live, and that one day he approached us with the gospel through someone or through his word and said, get up and walk, because we know walking in Scripture has always been that example of living for Christ daily. And this man was jumping and praising as they went inside, and everyone was amazed because they knew who that man was before he had his encounter with the people of God. And so today, last week was the miracle. Today, we want to look at the message because we said chapter 3 broke down into two things. It was the miracle that was going to make room for the message. You thought the miracle was fantastic, and many times we do. But what is even more fantastic is responding to the message that comes when the miracle gets your attention. And so I'm going to ask you a question before we pray. What happens, what is your response when you've seen something spectacular, amazing, or even miraculous, although that word has been watered down for any of us. I mean, for many of us, we call things miracles that are not. What have you done when you've seen something like that? What does it do to you? 
today in our society, in our world, if we see something spectacular, amazing, or even miraculous, we tend to do a few things. We either run toward or away from it, depending on what side of the horror movie stereotype spectrum you are. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> or we inquire about how it could happen. Or we wait to see or hear what's going to happen next. When you see something that catches your attention, that is spectacular, that is amazing, and that may even be downright miraculous, there are some responses from us, and it is no different when these, with these people in Acts chapter 3 at the beginning of the church's life. They had already seen one back in what we have in Acts chapter 1 when the Spirit came that these unlearned, uneducated men and women were up in this room and then the Spirit of the Lord came and while they were there, they all began to prophesy about the goodness of the Lord in other languages in which they have not learned shocked everyone. And everyone came running in, and Peter stood up and, and was able to share the gospel. And we heard 3,000 came. And as a result, there's this stirring that's there, and the apostles are still involved in the, in the Jewish temple, and they're going to prayer times and things. And what ends up happening now <clears throat> is that it's about to happen is this second miracle comes around and it gets people attention again. I'm wondering if they're thinking back to the first. It's like, oh my goodness, what keeps happening with these people? And they see a man who they knew every day was put at the gate every day. He was put there. He was a fixture. Everyone knew him. And everyone knew him in a certain way and in a certain position, and he was always going to be that people had resigned in their mind. This man is going to be here for the rest of his life, and we just, we're going to see him, and we pass by, and then one day they saw him differently because he had been changed. Now what? We get all up in arms when we see people in a different context. You're used to people being dressed down and they clean up and we say things like, man, you clean up well. Walk right by them. I, you, you're like, I've, I've never seen you in a suit. Forget being lame and can't walk and then now you're up and jumping. When we see people in different contexts, we act like we don't know them. I'll never forget, Sister Kimberly, I'll never forget the time where when we were in our, I think our second year in Europe, and we had decided to take a family vacation to Barcelona. Don't get all, it, it, it's, it's like an hour, hour and a half flight. It, it's like going to Atlanta from here. Actually, not even that far. And we're walking around the city, and Levette had communicated with her, and we met up, and I'll never forget our kids' response because they knew Sister Kimberly, and they kept staring at her. And kept staring at her. And they were like, we, we know you, but, and, 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 and then she was talking. And so we were used to not hearing English a lot. And so she's talking to them in English, and they keep staring. And then we said, she goes to Solid Word. You know her from Solid Word. Then it was like, oh. 
And we had a great time hanging out that day. But when we are out of context, imagine when the context changes. What was God doing? And that's what we're going to see today. Please keep in mind through this whole process, miracles are not just for miracles' sake when it comes to God in the Scripture. The Scripture calls them attesting signs for a reason. They're attesting or pointing to or verifying or approving something. And I know you got your blessing from it, but that wasn't the only reason God did the miracle. And so we want to see today, what was God doing? Then we're going to answer this too. What happens when God highlights you? In other words, you are the one being used in the spectacular, in the amazing, in the miraculous. What do you do when God is doing something great through your hands, through your life? It's critical that we see this because if this mission, if you are to be a part of the mission that is unstoppable, I think we need to learn from Peter and John's example of when they were highlighted by the power of God and what we do with that message. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. May indeed, oh God, we pay attention well in Christ's name. Amen. Please don't be thrown up by the scraggly voice. I promise I'm okay. That message was for my wife more than anyone else. <clears throat> and so I love what happened. So we know from last week, I love this. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the, portico, in the portico called Solomon's. Solomon's portico is that grand entrance into the temple. Think about this. They were so shocked and amazed. This man, they knew, they, they knew this was not a game. This was not a setup. This was not, again, this was not some suspect healing service in where no one has ever seen this person before. This was someone they knew every day that he was someone that could not help himself, couldn't walk, was a beggar, couldn't do anything for himself, and now he was changed miraculously, and he's walking in with them, praising the Lord. He's still hanging on. I love this. Peter and John weren't so beside themselves that they were like, yo, dude, get off me. No, he clung to them, and, and you know what? They let him. They understood he was probably still a little bit unsure about whether these legs were going to stay strong. But also, they were the agents in his healing. They weren't the power behind his healing, but they were the agents in his healing. Some of you right now still hold people high that shared the gospel with you. They didn't save you. They didn't die for you. But you hold them in high regard because they were the agents that brought the message. And that's okay. And so they walk in, everyone is shocked, and they do what you and I would do. They ran to see what happened. Peter and John, again, are front and center. They are the center of attention. God is highlighting him. Have a few things that if the message, now we're talking about, <clears throat> of the gospel is going to stay strong, is going to be there, certain things have to happen. 
Number one is you have to, as an agent of God, a witness of God, you have to overcome the temptation to be distracted by people. This was a real danger. Peter and John could have been sidetracked by this. They were highlighted. God used them for healing. It was upfront, plain, and simple. And there was no questioning. There was no fakeness. There was no, was he really lame before this? Was he really sick? Was something really? No, they knew this. <clears throat> and they run in and look at what Peter and them does. I love this. He said, Peter does what we as all of Christ's representatives should do when we are faced with the potential for being glorified for what God does. Because again, if we're going to share this gospel, some of you are going to be put on big stages, some little stages, but you're going to be highlighted in some way at some time. And how you respond is going to determine how that message that he is giving to you is going to be communicated and received. And so I look at this, and I was like, wow. Peter, verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. I love this. Peter saw what was happening. Prayerful Peter with eyes now filled with the Spirit. What he looks out and see is not, wow, we got a crowd, y'all. Wow, folk are gathering. Boy, we get numbers here. We need to figure out how we can get more people. We need to figure out how we keep this crowd. Now, what is Peter's first response? He goes, men of Israel. And in essence, what he does by saying that is that he puts them all in common. And then he says, he's men of Israel. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down. Why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Now, he just sucked all the I'm the man air out the room. They run up because they are. Oh, come on, y'all know. Uh, okay, you know, many of us have not seen, if any of us have seen that kind of miracle. And when we do, we've seen folk that have been taking the credit for so-called miracles. We've seen services where people are taking the credit over and over for so-called miracles. They have whole conventions of it. Y'all don't get mad at me, but they're, they're just the whole time, and everyone is just praising the people. Peter and John have it happen as one time, and they say, Hold on. Why are you looking at us? First of all, why are you wondering? My deal was, why was he surprised at them wondering? It's like, do we see this every day, Peter? Oh, get up. Oh, I'm just going to go over to the guy who's dying. Get up, man. Okay, he got up. I'm just going to go over to the person who, who, who has this sickness that can't be good. Get up. Peter was talking like it was commonplace. That's what it seems like, right? No. What he was saying is, you've seen this 
Remember, this is not long after the resurrection of Christ, which meant it wasn't long after the life of Christ. And, if, and, and this region saw Christ at work. They heard the news. Some of them saw it. Some of them were probably around when Lazarus was raised from the dead or when he fed the crowds. You have to believe some of those people were there. And so he was like, why are you wondering at this? You've seen this. What he was doing was tying themselves with Jesus. <clears throat> what he was doing was saying to them, look, you've seen someone else do this. And he claimed to be equal with God. And if you heard my last message, you heard me tell you that he is God and that what he came to do in his resurrection. So he tells them, why do you wonder? But then the next thing he does, he says, first of all, y'all have seen this. You've heard about God. Next one, he goes, but why are you staring at us as if all this is because of us? I love that. See, the reason we have little pedestal monsters running around in the Christian faith is because some of y'all have aided and abetting in creating pedestal monsters. We've worshipped these people for what God is doing. And I love Peter and John's response. They said, why are you looking at us? We didn't do this. Ready, because they're going, oh, okay. And even if it's by guilt, because you know there was some there that were, they were ready to crown them Lord of all, like some of us would have. They were ready to follow them because, wow, if he has got that kind of power, what else can he do for me? And by setting it straight, he sets everyone down, and Peter puts himself right on their level. I am no greater than you. But... I got something to tell you. And so he says that, again, when he gets them there, when he tells them this is not what you need to be doing and how you need to re respond, he takes away the distraction from the gospel, and he takes away the glorification of humanity. Now folk are ready to hear the truth. I will tell for you and I, when we do not have to be glorified, when we do not have to be propped up, when we do not have to be seen, when we do not have to be approved, and oh my gosh, you're the man, you're the woman, boy, then the way in which we can be used is phenomenal because we don't need affirmation and approval anymore. I don't need you to pat me on the back. I don't need you to tell me I'm good. I just need to be prepared and to do it the way God does. And that's not just for people that get up and preach. That's for any of us that God is using in any way that puts us on some sort of highlighted stage, pedestal, or podium. Peter is a great example for that. But then the next thing that he does in order for the message to be heard well, that Peter, that he was bold to present the truth. And the first part of that truth is now he got their attention, had this great miracle. Many people will say, well, I'm not trying to lose this crowd. Peter learned from Jesus. Don't worry. You're going to lose some. If your goal is to keep a crowd, you're not going to give the message. If your goal 
is to gain more people, you're going to shy away from the truth. And Peter's first response to them, after he clears the air, and he tells them, get me off your pedestal, and he begins to share the truth. This is a great model for all of us when it comes to proclaiming Christ. Look at what he says. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead to this we are witnesses. I would be like, yo, Peter, chill. He goes in like 500%. He's like, I got your attention, right? I'm going to give you the message. Here's the message. First of all, I love how he starts off historically because they would understand it. And it's all so God-centered. You know how many times God is used here in this one? Uh, you know, you know uh, like, like, Okay, Peter, what's the focus of your message? God and his servant Christ. But he takes them historically because they know they're Jews. He says, God, historically as you know him, and by his plan has brought about his servant Christ. And this was a very messianic-focused message. Jesus the Messiah, they had not accepted him as that. The culture in mass had rejected that, and he said, Jesus is the Messiah, and you denied him. You rejected him. As a matter of fact, you wanted a murderer more than you wanted God's servant. And actually, God's servant was the giver of life. And so you actually wanted a man who took life versus a man who was given life. He told the truth about their position before God. You think you are religious enough and you're cool. And here's the deal. They're in the temple. They're there to worship. But these folk don't know who they're worshiping. And Peter clears it up. That's like coming to church and say, look, y'all, you little heathens. Y'all didn't want Jesus. You rejected him. Y'all sitting up in here acting like you want to be before God. Y'all know him. Y'all be like, yo, chill, bro. It's like, what's your issue? But Peter knew exactly what was happening because he knew they didn't know God. They knew that he had rejected. Again, remember, these were people that would have been there around the trial of Jesus. We're not talking about 50 years later. And so he says to them, y'all denied Christ. You didn't want him. And he said, that Christ that y'all rejected, and he goes, if you remember my last message, I'm telling you that he's alive and living. He's resurrected from the dead. That Jesus, we are witnesses of him today. And that's what he says to them. We are his witnesses. He's still sharing the truth. What he tells them is that you don't stand with God. You are standing against him. See, people that are not concerned about their celebrity 
are not concerned about standing against people with the truth. Oh, you don't have to be offensive. Your message will probably be offensive, but you don't need to be offensive. And Peter was telling them, you offended me. Now, I just told you the truth. But he didn't say it. You can say it in, in the way. He didn't say it in a way where he was trying to blow them away. He was trying to tell them where they stood. And it just didn't stop there. He gave them that, but then he gave them something behind it. So he gave them this message, and he said, look, y'all, you are not in the right place. You are actually opposing God. You're not for him. I know you're here in the temple. I know everyone thinks that y'all cool, that you right with God. But he says, by nature of how you've rejected Christ, you are not with him. Folks, I don't care how many times people come to church. I don't care how many times they come to your Bible studies. How many times they, they say, we praise God and we thank God. If they have rejected Christ as Savior, if they have rejected him as the one that God has sent to bring us into relationship with God, they are opposed to God. Period. Oh, I love God, but I don't love Jesus. Then you don't know God, bro. Then you don't know him. Because the only way to God is through Christ. That's what Jesus said himself when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He made a definitive statement that you either reject or you accept. And that's what they were doing here today. And so they shared that gospel message strong and bold after God got their attention. How do you argue with the power you just saw demonstrated? See, part of the problem today is that there's no power. I'm not talking about miraculous healing necessarily. I'm talking about life power in Christ. How do you argue with a life that's been changed? Someone is drastically and radically changed in Christ, and they are sharing that message with others, and people are sitting there going, I don't want to believe this, but how do I argue with what I see? How do I argue with what this man, they're changed, and nothing else worked. And that's for some of y'all. God is wanting to use you in circles. Let me fix this. Sorry about God is wanting to use you in some circles. Because the change has been seen, and you just need to be open and talk about it. So that people, they may not like the message, but they can't argue with the power demonstrated. They can't argue with the change. And so then he goes in and it says, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And so what, Paul, and what Peter does is he ties this miraculous event with faith in Christ. Why? Because he's saying the gospel is powerful. In this case, it, you know, the healing power of God changed this man in your very presence so that you would know a testing sign that it is pointing to a God who was calling out to you to come to his Christ. That's what he did for the group. 
That's how you give the message. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel itself is. You don't need to change it, dance around it. You do need to share it. You don't need to get mad with people as you share it. Share it. They're just not responding. That's not your responsibility. Just share it and live out the power of God. Maybe what's happening is that they hear your message, but they see your powerless life, and they don't understand the confusion. They go, you claim in this powerful Jesus, but you live in like he doesn't exist. You're talking about gospel power, and yet you look just like me. You hung up in the same stuff I'm hung up in. You arguing in the same stuff I'm arguing. You mad at folk the same way I am. So help me out. Why should I come to Jesus if all he does is produce you? I've got to ask myself that question. What kind of example am I when I am highlighted before people to Jesus Christ and as a witness, as a representative of God? Oh, I'm not saying that you need to be perfect because Peter and John weren't. And Peter later, even after the Holy Spirit came in, he failed when when he succumbed to some of the pressure of the Judaizers that were coming, and he wanted to kind of be on their good side. And Paul had to front him up. It doesn't change anything. He's still, look, he's still a representative. And so, not only did he overcome the temptation to be distracted by people, and he was bold to present the truth of the gospel, he was bold to, re- to reveal God's historical plan for this salvation. He was knowledgeable enough to tie in what has been spoken before with what they are seeing now. Why did he do that? Because they can know this isn't some just come lately. This isn't some new thing. This isn't some we just kind of starting our own little clique. What Peter was doing, it says this was God's plan all along throughout our history, Jewish people. And he was planning this all the way from Abraham till now. I was sharing to Paul in the back. It must have been amazing. Because Peter was telling them things that were prophesied that they knew of had been fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ and was being fulfilled because of what they were right now doing. Can you imagine that? You got prophecy being fulfilled right in front of your eyes is what Peter was saying. And what he was doing is getting them to understand all this was God's plan, all of it. And you are witnesses of it. And we are witnesses of him. And so he comes in and says, verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. I know y'all didn't know. As did also your rulers. Now, remember, they in the temple. And the rulers are probably there too. And y'all going to see in chapter 4, they were. And Peter was bold enough. He said, look, y'all, I done been to the fire. I done been with Christ. 
This man was crucified. I thought we was done until he was resurrected. I denied him out of fear. I ran, but after his resurrection, he said, I ain't running no more. I know he's real. He was like, I know he's legit, so y'all do whatever you want. That's boldness. And that's not just for Peter. That's for all of us. And so he says, I know you acting in ignorance, but verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Because everyone had the issue with Jesus' suffering. How would God's agent, how would God's Messiah allow himself to be treated that way? They said because it was all God's plan. Isaiah talks about the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. And so he was saying this is part of God's plan. Because in our society, if I'm the man, I ain't suffering like that. I will have privilege. I will have people bowing down to me. But God says that's because in your sin, you don't understand how you win sinful people over. In other words, he said, I become one of the people yet without sin and then die for them that they can become once again those who he had wanted. So the suffering servant was part of the plan, but then he closes the deal. How many of us are in sales? How many people in sales? Raise your hand. How many people in sales? Okay. How many people in sales? Y'all can dance around the issue all you want. They tell you in sales to do what? Close the deal. Settle it. You come a time when you stop dancing around. Close it. And Peter closes the deal. What does he tell him? Verse 19. Why am I saying all this? Repent. He closes the deal. Look, all this stuff is good to know for you. All this history and we gods, you know, God worked through our, you know, um, he worked all the way through all our people and he did all these things. Now I'm feeling, okay, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really guilty of what do I do? He closes it, repent. And he gives reasons why you should repent. I love this. He doesn't just say repent, y'all miserable little wretches. No, because he's not there to put them down. He's not there to make them look bad. They're bad already. What is he there to do? He's there to bring the gospel. He's there to bring hope. I don't have to make you feel bad. If I share the truth and you're not on the side of the truth, you're going to feel bad. I don't need to try. love what he says. He gives them three reasons why they should repent. He says, repent. Number one, that your sin problem can be dealt with. You have a sin problem. Repent that your sins would be blotted or wiped out. They would be erased. That's the first reason why. You need your sins erased and they're not. Number two, he says repent. Why? So that times of refreshing can come. Not only do you need your sins forgiven, but you need to be refreshed from your sinful life. And so he said, times of refreshing. I love that. Why? Because if I am outside of Christ, I'm not living in times of refreshing. Even though I may be experiencing some benefits in this life, I'm not walking around with my head down all the time, but God says, that's not true refreshment. When you repent, your sins are blotted out first. I know some people say, God, can you refresh me first and I'll repent? No. Your sins need to be blotted out. 
so that times of refreshing can come and that Christ who has been appointed for you can come. What does that mean? So that salvation can come. And so that refreshment is coming as salvation is coming. I love the message. It is plain, simple, and clear. And he would just repeat that in different ways throughout his time. For you and I, the message is we love to get to the point and we can tell people about their sin and we can tell them, tell them, but we never get to the repent part. It's okay to tell people to repent. Well, they might get mad. Well, they just get mad. Repent, man. I had to. I tell them, this isn't nothing new. Everyone that has come to Christ has had to repent. And if you cannot be forgiven, I have nothing to be forgiven for, then your heart isn't ready because you think you're okay. You think you're good. But Peter gave the message. And then he says it'll be a sign for full um, restoration. Verse 20, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet long ago. Then he goes to Moses in this prophecy being, and actually what he refers to is Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 19. And he says to him, I love it. He actually... uh, wrong piece of paper. He actually says to him, Moses, that a prophet will come like me and that you will listen to him. Moses was talking about Christ. What he was telling them is when Moses said this, he was talking about the Jesus whom now we represent whom you guys got to see, who you denied, the giver of life, and now he's resurrected, and we are now, re- and, and we are now representing him, and that power that you just saw, that's the Jesus we're talking about. That's what they just did. Prophecy fulfilled, and as a matter of fact, then he says later, as he keeps talking, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from his people. That was Leviticus 23, 20, I'm sorry, 23, 29, when he said to him, look, if you don't listen to the prophet that I send, like Moses, you'll be cut off. He's talking to Jews. Y'all think you got it in because you were born into this ethnicity. He was like, no, 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 you don't. You need Jesus. And then he brings it on down to the close. I love this. He says, and it shall, I mean, and verse 24, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, he tied it back to Abraham because that promise that was made to him was fulfilled in Jesus through your offspring. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And he's talking to Jewish people. And now we know that. What did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1? You will be my witnesses, right? Where? He just said in Jerusalem, Jews. Jesus even said it to the woman at the well. Salvation is of the Jews. 
What does it mean? That it came through someone of Jewish ethnicity, not only to them, but God says, God is using you that you would be the first ones blessed and that you would go in and bless others, and we are the others. And so Peter laid out this clear gospel message. Let me tell you what didn't happen. Now, in the first time he did it, Scripture says 3,000 came to the Lord. This time we hear nothing. Wait, what, Lord? I preached my little heart out. You ain't bring nobody? First time, 3,000 were added that day. Wow. Wait, it's going to be all the time, Lord? <laughs> Just wait. Preach this time, crickets. We don't know how many. It didn't record it. I'm not saying that there were none, but we don't know. But what did happen, and we'll see that next week, what did begin to happen would be with them and alongside them for the rest of their time and even today of the gospel being proclaimed. What was rising at that time alongside of them, and it ain't pretty, would, be, would come up in response to them faithfully preaching the gospel. Let me give you a hint, opposition. Just because you preach faithfully doesn't mean everybody's going to lay down and praise you because you weren't looking for it anyway, right? You were just like Peter. I ain't trying to find it. I'm just trying to be faithful to the message. And I love what happens here. He ends it on a high note. What's that high note? Look, he came to you first so that you would be turned from your wickedness. You hear in church, you hear thinking you're here to praise God, but y'all wicked. Wow. But there's hope. You can turn because he did all this so you can turn. And I love that as a message. Let me ask you some questions at the end of this. Then. When God highlights and spotlights you with his power, are you faithful to proclaim him truthfully? Or do you shy away? because you like what he just did, and you don't want to lose it. Let me help you. If you're unfaithful, you're going to lose it. Do you seek the credit and glory? Or do you work hard to keep people focused on faith in Christ? Because it's work. Peter and John had to intentionally turn people's attention away from them and on to Christ. It's not going to happen naturally. Naturally, you're going to love that glory. You're going to love that credit. And lastly, well, next to lastly, what is your message and on what biblical basis do you give it? What is your message to people, and on what biblical basis do you give it? Will the message that you share bring you shame later or glory to God right now? Why do I say that? Because you may be given a message that may not be opposed. But let me tell you something. If it is not the truth, you will be brought to shame. You will be found out it will be made known that what you are sharing is not the truth. 
Or will you bring glory to God right now by giving the message that he wants you to be able to share straight from the scriptures? Then this is lastly. Is the power of Christ shown through you? This one came to me. I just like last night as I was going over this. Does the power of God shine through you or is it covered up by you? Does the power of God shine through you or is it being covered up by you? Are people not seeing God's power because your life won't let them? Oh, you're still a child of God. God just wants you to stop covering him up and to let him be seen. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.